0: Deconstruction is the process of slowly disassembling something. But what happens when you disassemble the security system? When you unplug the thing that, like, was keeping you safe this whole time? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today, I'd like to talk about deconstructing sin. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Okay, before we begin, I just want to give a huge shout out to all 11 people on Spotify who gave this podcast a five-star review because now the five stars is displayed. So The Awkward Apocalypse is officially a five-star podcast. So huge shout out to all 11. Actually, I think it was nine because I think I was two of those. I think like on two separate accounts, I, I gave myself five stars. So nine of you. Thank you to all nine of you who made this possible Uh, I don't know where to go from here. So uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. I I I never expected this this level of success. Anyways, uh, as we get started today, I, I think I wanna look at the idea of deconstructing sin. And to do that, I want to use the analogy of an airplane. So let's say that the airplane is our beliefs, our, our worldview, what, what drives us, what we believe. And deconstruction is the process of slowly taking parts of that plane apart, examining them, and then saying, is this good? Should this be here? Or should we replace this with something else? Now, as you can imagine, that is a dangerous process because the more you disassemble that airplane, the less likely it is to be flying. And I think that's kind of my goal throughout this deconstruction process is I'm trying to keep my airplane airborne. I'm trying to keep it up in the air while at the same time, disassembling it and checking the things that need to be checked and refining it and making it better making it fly faster and more efficiently and more smoothly and more like the builders intended it to fly is i guess my purpose throughout all of this my purpose is not to crash the plane now to be fair for some people that is their purpose and for lack of a better analogy in this i guess some people kind of go onto their plane like a suicide bomber and just blow the whole thing up and believe that they're doing a righteous thing and doing so. And those are the people who just leave the faith. And that's normal in deconstruction. It's normal to begin taking apart the plane and then realize this whole thing sucks. I'm just going to crash this plane. And then a lot of people from that point are no longer airborne. Like they're done. They're on the ground and they're walking and they're making their own path in life. And that's a pretty normal outcome for deconstruction because as you can imagine, taking apart an airplane is a very dangerous task and more than likely if you're disassembling a plane while you're in the air, you're probably going to crash. And i think that's my constant challenge is i'm trying to keep this thing in the air while at the same time questioning some of its foundational principles like is this the right fuel that we're using here uh, are the wings the right size and you know what about these engines Let, let's turn one off and see what happens <laughs> and, and i think that's kind of what i'm doing and it's a dangerous game i'm playing and that's kind of the point of this episode today is i want to talk about the danger of deconstruction because i think that's something that is not really talked about much But to do that, I want to reference a book that really impacted my life in a profound way. I read this book, I think six or seven years ago, and it has dramatically impacted my approach to Christianity, how I view people in general, and how I view my own deconstruction and that book is you are what you love by james ka smith and I, I think that's kind of like the 101 like the basic version of his other book desiring the kingdom which is i think part of a three book series and that one is a lot more uh, intellectual and he includes a lot more like philosophers and things like that and so i read desiring the kingdom first in seminary and that really impacted me and then i took another class where we were required to read you are what you love, which is kind of his like more basic version of that book that I I guess he wrote for more like common folk, like people who aren't as into philosophy and things like that. And that book just kind of summarized perfectly something that I kind of felt, but I just, there was no way I was going to put words to it. And his basic argument of that book is human beings are not intellectual creatures. They are loving creatures. And I've talked about this a lot in the podcast. If you've listened to my other episodes, you know, I bring this up all the time. And so cards on the table, this is where I get the idea from is this book, you are what you love. And in this book, he talks about how a lot of people approach Christianity as if we're going to change people by throwing Bible verses at them and throwing theology at them. And we we just, it's almost like we have this belief that if we can get people to believe the right stuff, they will change. And his argument is that is not the whole picture at all. His argument is that if you really want someone to change, you don't throw information at them. You don't teach them the right stuff. Instead, you have to give them something to love, something to desire. And for him, that's why the church has been so ineffective at changing people is because he says, you go to the mall and you see advertisements. And in those advertisements, you see an image of what he calls the good life. If you buy these jeans, if you buy this perfume, this is what your life will look like. And he says the mall, they figured it out. Advertisements have figured it out. Drug commercials, they figured it out. They, They get people. If you want to sell a drug, you don't just list all of the benefits of the drug, like in bullet points, and then people go out and buy it. You show a grandpa who now gets to spend time with his granddaughter because he bought this drug. You show a mother who's a good mother now because she's healed of this disease and now she can be present with her children or something like that. You, you give people something to desire and that changes people, that drives them. And in the Reformed world, this isn't a very popular idea because we're so intellectual and so heady and we're so focused on theology that it's hard for us to admit that people are not necessarily changed by just good theology. You have to give them something to desire. You have to give them this image of the good life and in that sense he actually talks about the catholic church and how the catholic church tends to do this better than the evangelical church because of the reverence that they have for saints and things like that and he's not advocating for the catholic version of christianity but he is saying that when you go into a catholic church you are transformed by the liturgies that you partake in the 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 habits the the rituals that they do and you have these images of saints and you're given this is what you should be like and that he argues is what causes people to change even outside of christianity i've noticed this like when you go to those conventions of those mlms that you know pyramid schemes and things like that that people try to avoid but when you go to those conventions a lot of times what they'll do is they'll highlight the people who have sold the most products and they'll have them stand up they'll have them come forward and they'll, they'll show you look at how successful these people have been under this agency because they did the right thing and they sold the most products. And now look at the car they're driving, look at the house. They have, look at how successful they are. Look at how happy they are. And that is powerful. That drives people to want to be like those people. They're, they're not driven by the numbers. They're driven by an image of that's going to be me one day, one day when I sell enough products, I can be happy like that person. And that is powerful. And that's what James K. Smith is arguing in this book, is that when you give people an image of the good life, that transforms them and that changes them. I think back to, I can't remember her name, but it was in The Grinch. Uh, Cindy Luhu's mom is looking across the street at the the other woman and it's her I can't remember her name she was she was like engaged to the mayor and her, her life is just perfect and Cindy Lou who's mom is trying to decorate their house and she's putting up the lights and she's struggling tremendously and she can't get it up but she's having a hard time with it and then she looks over across the street and this other woman has like a Christmas light cannon and she's just like shooting up the lights and they're like perfectly aligned and, and then uh cindy lou who's mom like i think falls over she's just like adoring this woman's life and like almost like lusting after the life that this woman has and that is exactly what i'm talking about that's what drives us we look at other people and we look at their lives and we want their lives we want to be like them it is something we desire. It's not just like facts and information that we accept. It is a life that we want. We, we love that particular type of life and that drives us to chase after the type of person that we want to become. So the reason i bring all this up is because when you adhere to a particular sect of christianity you tend to have your heroes of the faith if you're in the reformed section of christianity you're going to look up to people like rc sproul and tim keller and pastors like that people who i grew up adoring and wanting to be like and if you're maybe reformed but a little bit edgier you're going to follow matt chandler If you're outside of that world there's tons of other celebrity preachers you can look up to or maybe christian musicians these people transform and change you not by the things that they say necessarily but the type of people that they are and you read their books and you listen to their sermons you listen to their music whatever it is you're consuming whatever they're putting out you're you're following them on social media and you're seeing the type of person who you want to be and that molds you that shapes you that cultivates within you a desire to be like those people and they teach you what it is you're supposed to value how you're supposed to act and behave and the things that you're supposed to believe and so that follows in line with what you desire so you want to be like these people and so you follow them in the things that they believe and the things that they teach and the life that they live and that cultivates within you a deep desire to be a particular type of person and I, I guess as I begin to deconstruct I noticed that I was no longer striving to be like the people I once looked up to. Because as I'm deconstructing, as I'm taking this plane apart, I'm realizing that the things that I've been taught by these people have kind of been undermined by the questions that I'm asking and the conclusions at which I'm arriving. And so it's like, as I begin to doubt the things that these people are teaching, the lifestyle that they're living is called into question. And so it's like, I don't have these celebrities that I look up to anymore as the type of person that I want to be and I'm just kind of left to myself. And as humans, we don't really do well with that. Like we want to expedite our belief process. We want someone who's just gonna tell us what to believe. And I think I've talked about this before, but it, I think I need to mention it again here. It if you're a political person, you have your political person who's pretty much going to tell you what to believe. Like if you're more conservative, you're just going to go to Ben Shapiro and listen to what he says. And you're just going to probably believe whatever he tells you to believe for the most part. You know, if you're, if you're liberal, you have your person you go to. If, you, if you're a particular type of Christian, you go to these people and they tell you what it is you're supposed to believe because we are lazy. We don't want to think for ourselves. We want to go to someone who is more of an authority figure. Who's just going to tell us what it is we're supposed to believe and that's easy but also lazy and as christians i think we have this too we have the people we look up to and when we're listening to those people talk when we're consuming whatever media they're putting out our guard is down and we're more likely to just kind of blindly accept whatever they have to say but when you're deconstructing and you call into question these people's lives and their teachings you don't have that luxury anymore and it's exhausting because you're constantly comparing everything they say to is this true you're you're examining it you're thinking critically and it's a healthy exercise in that regard but at the same time it is very very exhausting and this is why few people hang out in an intermediate section of deconstruction like few people will hang out in this middle ground for very long because there's not really a lot of people in this middle ground there aren't a lot of people telling you hey I've already thought about these things and kind of here's where I've arrived there's people on both extremes but there are very few people who are in the middle who are there to help you out which by the way that's one of the reasons I made this podcast is because I realized there's not a lot of people who are in this section of Christianity who are questioning the things I'm questioning, but not going to one extreme or the other. And so to all nine of you, (laughs) and so to all nine of you out there, uh, who are listening, That's why I'm making this podcast is because I see kind of a gap in the deconstruction world. There are a lot of deconstruction figureheads who are more like on the other extreme of deconstruction where they've kind of taken everything down and there's really not much left of Christianity, to be honest, like Orthodox Christianity at that point is kind of gone. And Christianity has become more a product of their own desires, which I'll get to in a minute. But I I began to realize there aren't a lot of people doing what I'm doing, which I think is why I don't have a huge audience for it. I knew going into it. Like I've said this before. I didn't make this podcast to be popular because I don't think this is a good recipe to have a successful podcast necessarily. Like I don't think I'll ever have a job doing this because there aren't a lot of people who are willing to hang out in this middle ground. It's hard. And my goal is not to be a figurehead. That's just going to blindly tell you what to believe. My goal is to help you think through these things to facilitate this journey, not do it for you. I don't want to cultivate laziness among my listeners. I don't wanna cultivate laziness among the deconstruction journey. It is hard and you've got to do the work for yourself. But I can help you because of my particular background, because of the things that I've already thought through. Maybe I can make it shorter, but ultimately I want you to be thinking through these things with me. But like I said, as human beings we don't want to do that hard work of thinking through things and it's a hard journey and i think recently as i've been deconstructing as i've been taking apart this airplane as it were i've realized something really terrifying i have begun to deconstruct my own convictions i've arrived at i guess you would call it like the fuel line And I took the scissors to it and I was like, hey, maybe I can cut this and see what happens. And then right before I snipped the scissors, right before I cut the wires on the autopilot, whatever analogy you wanna use for some crucial component of this airplane, I stopped and I realized what I was doing and it terrified me. Because what what I began to realize through this deconstruction process is I'm questioning a lot of things and the deconstruction crowd tends to question a lot of the foundational moral principles of Christianity. I mean, we were raised in purity culture. We were raised in a culture that taught us that sex before marriage is bad. and So a lot of people who are deconstructing question that and not surprisingly, a lot of those who are deconstructing arrive at the conclusion that we've been suppressed this whole time and we should be free to have sex with whoever we want because we believe that it's not harming anyone and it's good to be sexually expressed and explore your own sexuality and things like that. That That is an American cultural value that a lot of people who are deconstructing arrive at. But is that a biblical value? Like, I, I guess that's kind of where I think that deconstruction can become disingenuous in some ways because a lot of those who are deconstructing tend to arrive at a system of ethics that seems to just like coincidentally look just like our American ethics, like our secular American ethics And it's just kind of one of those moments where you squint your eyes and you're like okay can we pause for a minute like so this whole time millennia of interpreting the bible and nobody ever arrived at a version of christianity that looks like this and now suddenly we americans have discovered that christianity coheres very very nicely with our 2023 system of ethics this whole time nobody ever picked up on that and now we unbiased Americans have arrived at the conclusion that the Bible supports expressive individualism, that the Bible supports an ethic that says you can do whatever you want as long as you're not harming someone else, that the Bible all along was not teaching against homosexuality and supports transgender community. And it's like, okay, can we pause for a second? (laughs) Like, is it possible that maybe our bias is playing a role in this, that maybe our own desires for the type of life we want to live are influencing us to arrive at a version of Christianity that looks eerily similar to our American ethics that we have already established kind of in our minds and our belief systems. Like maybe that's influencing us. Can, can we pause for a minute and consider that possibility? I mean, one of the reasons I made this podcast is so I can compare Christianity, American Christianity, to the Bible and and kind of look at the ways that we're blind to how our American culture has influenced our interpretation of scripture and our version of Christianity. And a lot of times I approach that from the more conservative end, and I look at like Christian nationalism and kind of the Southern version of Christianity, the Bible thumpers and things like that. But I think it's also important we look at the liberal side of Christianity and ask the question, is it possible that the liberal side of Christianity is arriving at a new version of Christianity that is also not biblical? Because I think that's happening on both sides And that's what's so hard about inhabiting this middle ground is it's like, I don't have a camp. I don't have a people I can go to and be like, yeah, that's Christianity. Because on both sides, I see the culture influencing our own interpretation of scripture. And the liberal side is no exception to that. And I've noticed that on the liberal side of Christianity, there are people waiting over there to say, Hey, those things you believe the whole time, let me tell you what you should believe now. And so there's figureheads waiting there and you can latch onto them. And it kind of is the same thing as before. It's like, now I'm going to be lazy and not think for myself. And I'm just going to look at these people and they're going to tell me what to believe. And it's like this new version of Christianity that eerily similar to the old version of christianity there's just new beliefs but but the way that it's approached is the same lazy lack of critical thinking and adherence to the culture just we're going to let the culture influence our interpretation of scripture and to me like i don't want to be part of that either because what i've noticed as i've gone through deconstruction is i want the things from my past to not be true There are certain things that i'm like kind of pulling for and i've shared this in other podcasts when i talked about complementarianism and things like that where i question something and i'm like i kind of hope i'm wrong about this because that would be nice because this belief has made my life difficult for example hell i would love it if hell was not real and not surprisingly a lot of those who deconstruct arrive at the conclusion that hell is not real and that's something i am looking into like i would really really like to be wrong about that And so I'm definitely approaching with an open mind, if anything, I'm biased to not believe in hell, but I have to let the Bible guide what I believe. And so I keep my mind open to that, but I can't let my desires influence my conclusions. I can't let my desire for hell to not be real influence the conclusions I arrive at. Otherwise, I'm not truly engaging in an intellectual exercise, I'm just trying to affirm something I already believe. And that is so hard to do. And then i also call into question a lot of the ethics that i was raised with does the bible actually teach me not to do these things for example not having sex outside of marriage does the bible actually teach that you know it seems pretty clear to me and i was always raised to believe that it's very clear but a lot of people are saying it's not so i go back and i look at it and what i've realized as i begin to question these things specifically the moral things is i lose the moral foundation that i once had and my convictions Gets softer. I don't feel as bad about sin. I don't feel as convicted as I used to be, not because I don't believe those things, but because I'm questioning them. So maybe they're not true. And that is a dangerous place to be because on the one hand, it is good to question things. I'm not against questioning things at all. But on the other hand, as you question these things, you lose your conviction. And for me in my position, I'm running a ministry like my ethics are very important. People hold me to a much higher standard than they would normally hold someone. And it is vitally important that I have my convictions in line, that I feel strongly that I should not do certain things or else I could hurt a lot of people, not just myself, but a lot of people who are depending on me and depending on this ministry that I'm currently kind of running. And it's like, I have to make sure my convictions are in order and I have to make sure that they are strong or else I could fall. And so deconstruction in that sense is pretty dangerous. It's not just an intellectual exercise. This is serious. Like this affects me and it affects other people. And I have to come to understand, I have to realize that as I'm deconstructing my own convictions, as I'm asking the question, does the Bible really say, essentially what I'm doing is I'm filling in the role of Satan in the garden of Eden, whispering in the ear of Eve, did God really say? And that is, is where sin creeps in. That is where you lose the moral foundation. When you begin to question God, when you begin to question his commandments, that leads to sin. Because if I remove God from the equation, if God is not reliable, I become the author of my own ethics, and I'm going to make my own ethics conform to what I desire most. And if I've lost the foundation of desiring to be a follower of Jesus Christ, And if I replace that with the desire to be accepted within the secular American culture, or I replace that with my own desires, then I am in a very dangerous place. See, a lot of people say that those who are deconstructing do so so that they can sin, and that's not true. I don't know anyone who deconstructed their faith just because they wanted to sin. I see the reverse happening. A lot of people, what they do is they deconstruct their faith first, and then the sin follows. And I feel that happening within myself. I can see that as I'm deconstructing my faith, my convictions disappear. And as my convictions disappear, I allow myself to slip in ways that I used to not. I don't feel convicted for things that I used to feel convicted for. And I think that's the order that it happens. People don't deconstruct their faith out of a desire to go sin. They deconstruct their faith first, and then the desire to do what used to be sin for them, which they no longer consider to be sin, creeps in. And doing what you believe to be right, letting ethics conform to your own desires, and calling into question God's commandments, asking, did God really say this, is in a lot of ways, the very literal definition of sin. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit Standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page or you can Venmo at Standing Side by Side Inc. I'm speaking to you now from Liberia. And if it sounds like I'm inside a cement room with the windows closed, I, I'm in a cement room with the windows closed. I've been using AI to correct the audio in these things and it's actually incredible, but sometimes it doesn't get it right. So if my voice sounds like kind of garbled at some point, that that's why. Um, but hopefully it'll turn out good. Usually it does. For those of you who have reached out to me on social media, on my Instagram, pa.pancake, that's pa.pancake. Uh, I always appreciate that so much. It's, it really helps me to know that people are listening and are inspired by this and are growing. Uh, and, and that always helps me. So I appreciate so much to those of you who have reached out to me. It keeps me going in a lot of ways. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.